You right. just you're doing this because he took KR. That's why you started with the pedagogy, right? Like you just <laughs> no, want to talk about KR and TBLT. It just makes sense. Hello, everyone. This is James from LLP, and today we will be interviewing Fabio uh, Spano with his um, paper um, talking about the use of a board game or a card game in his classroom. This is a walkthrough, and we're going to walk you through it. So let's begin. First of all, let's introduce everybody. So, from Brandon. Yes, I'm Brandon Esri. I'm an associate professor of Italian and uh, chair of the Department of World Languages and Cultures at Elon University, and that's in North Carolina uh, in the U.S. Next up is Casey. Uh, hello. Uh, I'm a high school English teacher at a uh, private high school here in Japan. Okay, and the man himself, Fabio. Hi, I'm an experienced English teacher, now a master's student at an international Christian university in Tokyo, and I'm studying education and psychology. My, my uh, focus is on the usage of games when teaching English as a foreign languages, language. Okay, I'm James, I'm the host and one of the co-editors of LLP. Following is Jonathan. Hi, I'm Jonathan. Uh, I also do some things at LLP, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Shizuoka in Japan. And finally, we have Neil. Hi, I'm uh, Neil McFadden. I'm a public school teacher in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So the format of this podcast will be to ask Fabio to introduce his ludic, his language and his pedagogy. We're going to then talk to the reviewers about their opinions of the paper and their impressions. Fabio is going to give his proudest moments and then we're going to wrap it up with some questions. So, over to you, Fabio. Could yes. you tell us about your teaching context? Where were you teaching? I was teaching in a junior high school in the province of Nagano, in the mountain, Japan, Japanese Alps, in a very small city, actually. It was a, a junior high school in the countryside, actually. So what the was Japanese the age region. range of the students? Uh, it was a junior high school, so 13, 14, 15. So this I've been teaching... Yeah. A mandatory subject, yeah. Okay. English actually starts to be in a subject in the first year of junior high school. So basically, even if they studied before, but not like as an official subject, the uh, formal English education starts in junior high school. So the first junior high school first year, are, we, uh, we treat them as total beginners, even if they're not. So we start okay. from uh, ABC. So I've been teaching for three years in the school. I was an assistant professor. I mean, I have assistant professor duties. So sometimes I was just supporting the other teachers. Some of the time I got my uh, freedom to carry on my own project. This happened even the, uh, the first and the second year I was teaching there. During okay, the third so, year... Mm -hmm, sorry. During the third year, I managed to uh, introduce a game-based teaching project. So I started using my special time, which was once a week, sometimes once every two weeks, to play a game, to so teach English through a game. Okay. And so what was the language goal then of this class, other than just English? Was it speaking? Was it um, textbook-based? What was the language goals of the class? Well, the language goal of my project is, like put it bluntly, was to boost communication skills, but also to give freedom of production 
because something I noticed during regular class in my first two years in the school is that the students produce only when directly asked from to produce something from the teacher. There was no, no production freedom mm. and there was no chance actually, to use uh, English they studied the previous year. So what, what they were students were doing during class, it was to use for a specific purpose, which was like passing a test, uh, the language they studied like one week before, one week earlier. So okay. after reading a couple of studies and after reading about, you know, cognitive, cognitive learning and also text-based language teaching, I noticed that my kids were missing completely this aspect of language production, an aspect that is, just, is not just test, testing memory. So the cognitive aspect of learning was completely out of the picture. So you kind of recognized the gap then, that they were studying yeah. towards tests, they were doing textbook stuff, and you wanted to uh, exactly. improve their speaking and communication in an authentic way. Does that sound about right? Yeah, like I was trying to have some authenticity in the production, you know? Speak because you want to speak, not because you're told to. Mm. I okay. Create that situation. And I realized yeah, you, that after reading papers. You mentioned TBS yeah. as the approach there. So the pedagogy you'd say would be TBLT. Yeah. When specific on the pedagogy will be TBLT for various reasons. First is the, um, is the way I learned English because in Europe we have the SEFAR, the SEFAR, according to somebody. And uh, the SEFAR is an action-based, task-based curriculum. So the students are evaluated based on what they can do with the, la with the language, not on how how much grammar or much vocabulary they know. So I got this knowledge because I learned this way. Um, and also Japan just um, adopted this uh, version of the Safar uh, uh, called the Safar J, which is an adaptation of the Safar. So I took the chance to introduce the way I learned in a country, in a situation where this method was starting to become like official. So I found I saw a window there where I could jump in with my experience, and I took it. Yeah. Okay. Um, could you take us through the structure of the the class very briefly? What what did you do um, from week one to week seven? I believe it is. What was the structure? All the work is based on Kotoba rollers by James York. I don't know if you are here in your. But yeah, um, James R. Kotoba Rollers, and, uh, which is TBLT, and he follows the, um, the pre-task, task, post-task kind of cycle. So what I did is uh, to organize um, some kind of uh, language background or language preparation for the student to start the game, because even if I want them to produce freely, I still had to give them something, you know, to get ready. So we talked about the context of the game. I taught, I taught them the game, the game rules in English. And uh, we played in Japanese the first time. That was the pre-task. So getting them ready to start for the general concept of the game and getting them ready to start playing the game. Then we jumped into playing. Before, that was okay. from uh, lesson two. That was uh, the first one was lesson one. So the um, the playing in Japanese and then getting ready for the with the basic language necessary to play the game. From lesson two to lesson five, we basically just played the game. We reviewed a lot of language. I asked the student what language they wanted to what they wanted to say in English, but what they couldn't. So the language they gave them in the following classes came from the student mostly. 
Okay, so it's reactive on your part. This is what you need help with um, in a task-based um, methodology then. Um, in, as part of the post-task, it's the teacher finding errors and areas that need work on, and then you um, both putting that in and then asking the students what they want to work on as well. So it's kind of reactive in that way, yeah? Yes. One very okay. important part of the rollwork is the... Um, is analyzing the game or you know studying about the game studying the game or just analyzing the language they use during the game which is a which is the post the main post task of this uh of my project and of kotoba rollers so after playing for three or four times we actually stopped and for one lesson we didn't play it was a game lesson but we didn't play we just analyzed the gameplay and we just started uh the language we wanted to use we put um we worked on accuracy from fluency for the first time. They tried to write um, the language they wanted to use or the language okay. they, it was necessary to play the game. And then we went back on playing. I see. I see, I see. So it was play, analyze, and then kind of replay a kind of cycle of, of replaying the game and exactly. getting better as you replay, yeah? Exactly. The yeah, last okay, step. Cool. And the last class, because the project was seven classes in total, it was okay. reflection. Right. So students had to reflect on what they improved, how much they improved, and uh, what they liked about the project. And um, thanks to the evaluation, I noticed that, as I was hoping for, uh, many students realized that the best improvement was not strictly language-based, but it was also cognitive. Some students answered that the thing they learned was to lie in English or they understood that it's important to speak positively so they could mm. become the leader because the game I played, I have a leader. And if they, so mm. they, they realized I have to be positive to become the leader, to win. That was a gotcha. great realization, but useful in so many environments you think about. So other than the linguistic improvement, I had the cognitive improvement I was looking for. And perhaps something that you wouldn't um, have known about the students if you hadn't, if you hadn't had, uh, included the... The reflection activity if they hadn't told you that you wouldn't have known that so yeah very important exactly. to and make that learning explicit that. exactly and i wouldn't have seen that if i did not spend like seven classes playing gotcha that's you know those kind of realization from the student from the student this kind of um enjoyment of the freedom of production started after the fifth class we spent playing if okay. I had to evaluate on the only time we played, the first time we played, I would have stopped the project immediately because it was not satisfactory. It was I, I got uh -huh. nothing out of it. Right. That's but a very important time, point that you needed to I, keep playing and see the improvement absolutely. microgenetically. Yeah. So during the project, I had or, moments, go on, sorry. During the project, I had moments when I thought this is not good. After the second mm -hmm. class, for example, this is not good enough. Mm. But now I'm extremely satisfied with the result. What was your solution when when you thought? Because maybe other listeners um, or people thinking about doing games in the classroom, maybe they would be frustrated as well at, at the point where I don't think this is working and just quit. Um, what kept you going? Well, I can give an advice, which is do not forget that silence is part of learning. The silence phase is a very important part of learning a language. From even with your native language, kids experience a silent phase, you know, when they're learning their first language. So I had, the, I thought that my student were not producing enough because the game wasn't good enough or my explanation wasn't good enough. They needed to play more. After they played more, there was a silent phase even when playing the game. They were, maybe they have, 
they wanted to do something strategically wise, but they, they did not have the language or the confidence to do it. So before evaluating how your game class is going, let them play more. Do not, it's, it's, uh, if you stop at the first or second game classes, you will not understand, like you will not even have started the cognitive improvement. The students' cognitive roots will not, will not even have started. So it's impossible yeah. to evaluate the physical. Fantastic. So slow things down, one might say. Yeah, one might say that. I know a guy who will say that, yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. You, I've kept everybody in waiting. What was the game that you used in this classroom then? And why did you choose it? Again, I played a game called Two Rooms and a Boom, which is a card game, um, social deduction, secret role card game, where every student receives a card, and the cards have uh, different roles on it, and the students have through question, trying to understand uh, what role do the other students have. So basically, communication is uh, the most important part because they have to communicate in order to understand who's whom, and uh, that's the main, the most important thing in order to win the game. Okay, so the game naturally promoted communication. Yes, that was, was one communication. Yeah. Any other reasons for choosing it? Uh, yes, I've been reading a lot of paper about playing with games because I was looking for something that I could use in my uh, in my situation at junior high school. That from the first year of junior of uh, junior high school, uh, start from zero, we take for granted that the students never studied English before. So I need something that I could adapt to a very basic level, but it still okay. could be used with a more even with students with better productive skills. So I guess the, um, the, range, the language range necessary for the game is one of the reasons why I pick it. Anything to do with the price? Can any teacher use price this game? Mm. Uh, well, the game is free. Okay, so it's free. That's another bonus, right? Yes, if you go on the, in the website and uh, Tuesday, night, no, Tuesday Night Games, with a K, Night yep. Games, um, you can find the two rooms and a boom game. And in the main page, there is a download link with a PDF, with all the printable PDF, with all the cards and everything you need to play the game. Thank so you it was a free that. game, yeah. and then that helped because every time I read solution with video games, I could not use it because we didn't have computer enough computers or enough, you know, um, tech support to do it. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, that makes sense. If you've got a class of thirty, uh, keep it cheap, uh, keep it easy, keep it, you know, no network problems with cards. So. Okay, so we've had Fabio talk about his ludic, his language, and his pedagogy. And if you want to read more, there's a lot of detail. We'll probably pick into some of the, the highlights in the final section of the podcast. But the, of course, you can go and read it on the LLP website. Uh, thank you, Fabio. I'm going to turn the mic now towards our reviewers. We have Brandon, we have Casey, and we have uh, Neil here. And let's go down in order, I guess. Um, Brandon, what was your reaction to the paper? And is it anything like your own context, or could you do something like this? What do you think? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's just uh, it's great to have seen this process, the growth, and just how amazing the final product is. So I tip my cap to uh, Fabio and everyone else uh, for the collaboration. I love uh, Fabio's response. It's like, you know, and I feel this is what I do too, and it's like, oh, no, this isn't going how I want faith in the game believe the game like the game is often better designed than i am right than we are fabio to, to to teach right what we're trying to do so i loved how he said that uh, when i first saw the paper i thought oh no i use video games um maybe i shouldn't be here 
but I love too how we just kind of uh, after hearing Fabio, I, I'm realizing how much the common DNA is of the game of pedagogy of ludical or ludic pedagogy. So that's interesting. Um, no, what overall, I, I loved how it was so student focused. I'm looking right now at the examples of student work and the blue pen and the encouragement. I mean, we just, if it's not student focused, it's, it, hey, you're not you know, using the game, right? Come on. It's about having fun with the players. Uh, but I really appreciated that aspect. And then I learned a lot in this whole notion of, um, task-based learning, because one thing I, I do at Elon University as well is I'm the language assessment coordinator. So, Upon entering, there's 1,600 students, let's say, I have to decide where they belong. And so I feel like Fabio touched that really deep nerve of how there's a void between grades and what you can do, right? Whether you're using Axel or CFR, it's like, I need to know what you can do. <laughs> and that's a real world thing. So I appreciate how he had his uh, kind of hand on the pulse of the, the real world. What can my students do and how can I help them do that? It's amazing. Nice. Excellent. Casey, what do you think? Uh, Casey's one of our master reviewers, I guess. He's done quite a few now. So how does this one uh, hold up to your, your previous papers that you reviewed? Um, I think one thing I really liked about this is the personal nature of it. Uh, Fabio gave us a really good insight from like the beginning to end of the process that he and his students went through. And um, the, like the human side of of everybody, I think, came out in this. Uh, you know, like you read a lot of papers, uh, and sometimes they just feel very academic. And the, the research is just the numbers are it. You, you don't really get a sense of the people involved in it, and that's not the, true at all with this. This feels very human and people centered, and that's something I really liked about it. And just like the the process from beginning to end, the mistakes the the learning fixing and getting better uh it's not a straight process it's not a smooth process you know for anybody uh and that's all evident here in the paper so i thought that was um that's something i really enjoyed about it thanks uh just to poke slightly i guess i know casey you're also working in a high school in japan is this something mm -hmm. that you could perhaps um utilize in your own context or what are, is there any barriers um regarding that in your your context what do you think having read it intimately uh, this would well for me this would be i think a little hard to do well no not a little this would be hard to do for several things uh for several reasons I just uh, the school that I'm working at is not. Um, I, I I don't want to put it in a bad light. It just like once they sort of have decided on the curriculum, that's it, right? Like there's no you don't really deviate from it. You could do like maybe a um, a one off, maybe for a few weeks, but to do something uh, for let's say a semester would be a pretty big deviation from the norm. Fabio describes early on in his paper a little bit of the process that he went through to get this implemented. And uh, I was kind of surprised that it happened because I, uh, I worked as an ALT for a while. As, and um, I could say that I don't know if any of the schools that I worked at would have been receptive to this sort of thing. I think they would have wanted to just stay with the curriculum and not change. Hmm. So 
Um, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I guess for me personally, it would be, I mean, I could, it, it could happen, like I said, but <laughs> it would be very, <laughs> there's just so much, there'd be a lot to do before it could happen. There'd be a lot of... Uh, it's because you don't, you don't have the freedom, essentially, right, in your own workplace, in your own context. Is that the, the main hurdle, do you think, that you, you yeah, don't have I that don't freedom? Really, mm. Sure, yeah. Um, I don't... Uh, I have some input into the curriculum and what gets done. Uh, I'm also considered a part-timer at my, at my school. Uh, which is part of it. That's not going to help. That's, mm. that's one of the biggest things is I'm not really sitting down in the meetings every week. I see. The month. And so when it comes to the curriculum decisions, uh, I do get, I mean, I, our input is asked. The part-timers do get some input, but this would be something that would take uh, a lot more to go- negotiation. This sort it's a of bit above, uh, a bit above your pay grade, perhaps. <laughs> uh, definitely, yes, definitely above my pay grade. Yeah. So interesting. Thanks for uh, giving mm-hmm. us that other yeah, uh, yep. other side of the coin. I guess. Um, sure. Finally, uh, sorry to keep you waiting, uh, Neil. Um, uh, you've also done a, a review or two in the past as well, I believe. So um, again, Fabio's paper. Any any? What did you think to it? Um, so, you know what, it was interesting because the other um, reviews I've done have been for playground pieces and the um, walkthrough and articles are much uh, deeper and much more of a formal style piece. Um, and so that was really interesting. Um, the one thing that stood out to me, like I, I teach a similar age group to Fabio. Um, so where I had been teaching... Um, Middle, middle school, like grades um, six, seven, and eight, and uh, next year, grade nine. I'm, so I'm working with a similar age group um, in a similar context, although not um, the same curriculum areas. Um, so I thought it was really interesting to, as I read through it and reviewed it to see the um, pedagog- uh, pe- uh, pedagogical choices that um, Fabio had made and um, how it's rooted in, you know, what he was seeing in his classroom, in his own experience. And I think that that's, that was really interesting to me. And then to see how that developed as Fabio uh, wrote drafts of the paper and engaged in conversations with us online. Um, and so that, um, and I think that was similar to what um, I think Brandon was uh, mentioning about seeing the kind of personal decisions um, that you're making in your classroom and your lessons, because I think a lot of times if I read, um, you know, literature or research in education, often that's something that's missing, because when you're a teacher in a classroom, you're making all these decisions that are so important um, and so dynamic, and it changes everything that you, um, that it, it kind of changes everything that you do based on what's happening in your classroom, who the learners are. Um, one element that really stood out to me is, um, and I think I noticed, Fabio, as you were writing your um, paper, how this kind of developed. Um, you talked about your own experiences learning English and how you were learning from games, and then you were wanting to bring that into your classroom. And that, that really stood out because I think that sometimes our own experiences in our own lives um, come into play with what we do in our classrooms, and we don't always realize it but um watching that section develop i thought that was really fascinating and really interesting and i loved the examples that you added in as you went through 
In, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Neil. Um, you mentioned working in a similar context, um, just basically because I'm slightly ignorant of your own of your context. But mm-hmm. I guess that Fabio's work plan, it's not limited to English. Of course, it could be um, used for other foreign languages. Are you saying a similar context in terms of you're, you're, you're a foreign language teacher? I didn't have that. that no, vibe. no, no, no. I'm saying a similar context in terms of Fabio's paper was written from uh, his experiences teaching junior high. And so junior high would be a similar age level to what I, what I teach. Um, I, I would say that I would have, um, although like I had been teaching uh, multimedia and technology courses, I would have a number of um, Eng- um, new English learners in my classrooms. Um, however, um, I would not be responsible for teaching um, English directly rather than, um, you know, supplementing and adapting um, what's already happening. But I, I would be using um, games in my classroom, especially mm. as a tool for communicating um, and helping bridge some of those. Um, sometimes there's students who don't feel comfortable talking and participating in classrooms, especially with um, formal group discussions and lessons. Um, but when you play a game, you, um, you start to notice some of those kids who maybe are reluctant to participate in discussions and activities, suddenly it's a much more welcoming environment where they can uh, participate in a more um, active and meaningful way. Just to riff on that very slightly, um, there are a few papers in the literature talking about, you know, games as um, a youth culture. I mean, this is open to the floor, really, but um, Neil mentioned it. So um, the idea of, you know, games as a youth culture and and students having familiarity with games, uh, it can be something that they have, you know, this idea of cultural capital in that they have gaming capital. They know about games. So when games come into the classroom, it's like, oh, hey, this is something that I know. I, I, it's not um, a, you know, an ancient tome or it's not, uh, you know, 1950s movie or something. It, it's something that they can relate to straight away, which maybe um, opens them up a bit more. Is that, is it, would you say that from your experience then, Neil, and others here, is that what you're uh, talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, like I, I've seen that firsthand in um, my classroom. I've seen that um, even with my own kids, but like games are <laughs> things that they open, like, um, you know, not everybody necessarily wants to hang out in a classroom and, you know, talk about history or something. But then when you can bring games into the discussion, suddenly you have these kids that their interest is really... Um, peaked and they're mm. able to kind of bring in, you know, their own sort of experiences and what they like doing. Yeah. That's great. I feel like we're touching, yeah. kind of going yeah. back to this notion, strange, and I'm ignorant of science, believe me, uh, but this idea of the common DNA of good narratives, for instance, when I, when I teach Dante's Inferno, right, this very old text that seems, it's hard to read for those of us who know how to read it. Uh, but I teach it together with the video game, you know, that was based on it very loosely. The students, I had several students inevitably tell me, Professor, I'm going to warn you day one. I'm, I'm bad at literature. And I look at them and I say, really? Let's look into that. And so we kind of talk about this idea of even going back, like um, Neil was saying, this, going back to Omo Luden, right? Uh, Heisenberg talking about this idea of us as humans learning to play before we learn to read, before we learn to speak. It's in our DNA play. So I think there's just some primordial nerve that you can touch and be like, they're not bad at this. You've been doing it forever. You know, so I, I appreciate that pointing that out. And I find the same thing with Dante. 
Excellent. Um, okay. Um, thank you, reviewers, for your review and your your praise for Fabio's paper. I'm going to throw the floor back to Fabio um, one one more time, and then we'll wrap up with some some questions. Um, so, Fabio, your chance now to tell us what are you most proud of in um, in the paper? Please well, bring it up. Very happy. I'm very happy I managed to keep like the human uh, kind of relationship with the students like uh, very strong in the paper because now that all the reviewer commented it, I have the, and I'm not certain that I managed to do that. And uh, I don't know if I do it, I did it because I'm not ready to write technical yet. <laughs> so maybe this is the only way I can write. But also uh, the way when I was writing, I was trying to talk to myself two years ago when I was starting to look for a way to play with games. I read so many papers that I, with content that I couldn't use in my context. So I was trying to talk to Fabio that haven't started studying uh, game-based teaching or the language pedagogy. So I'm happy that I managed to do that. But if we have to talk about the proudest moments, it's all focused on the students, of course. All my proudest mm -hmm. moments are related to the student relations, uh, reaction to what I was doing. So, um, I remember going to class, it was the third or the fourth time we were playing and I wasn't sure about the uh, student reception of my uh, project. And I remember a couple of students asking me, are we going to play Mr. Spano's game today? And when I said yes, most of them started dancing and cheering. And <laughs> as a teacher, dream, you know? and, and I was like, yeah, you don't know, you're actually learning. You think you're having fun, but you're actually learning. You naive. Nice. That was great for me, you know, because actually yeah. I was starting, it was the third or fourth time, so I was starting to see the result, you know. So seeing them so happy to play the game was great as a teacher, of course. Yeah. But um, also, yeah, another, another proudest moment when, is when I actually, uh, when I played the strategy class, so the no game game class. The no game spent, game class. Uh, yeah, we spent, a, uh, we spent a class, which was one of my game project, and I told the guys, today we're doing the game project, but we will we'll not play a game. And I presented them with a puzzle to solve related to the, uh, to the gameplay of Two Rooms and a Boom, and uh, seeing every class nailing it in their own way, mm. but still being like the playful uh, attitude, even if we were not playing, that was a great success, because, you know, moving to accuracy, it's a strong part of every TBLT uh, yep. activity, like James York teaches in his paper, because you have to know that I'm very good at coping James York work and getting credit for it. That's my main skill. I'll have to come up with so, something uh, else then next. <laughs> yeah, please. I'll be there. So I was happy <laughs> to see this thing happening even in my class and having kids having fun or applying, like improving even accuracy with a casually kind of a game mindset, even mm -hmm. if we were doing a kill, you know? That yeah. was amazing to witness. Yeah, I think there's and so much course, in the paper. Yeah. Um, go on. And of course, the evaluation when they wrote, the guy that wrote, I learned how to lie, for me, was a great win. <laughs> yeah. I, learned, I learned how to lie in English. I was like, amazing. You're what more human statement could a student make? I learned to lie. It's a human thing. Yeah, right. Fabio, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, so there, we've talked about the paper very broadly, a few specifics, but um, there is a very detailed walkthrough. We call these papers walkthroughs because we consider them kind of like the old game walkthroughs where you would 
you know, the Final Fantasy VII game walkthrough on F- Game Facts. You know, it's probably 300 pages long or something. But um, yeah, the idea is that a teacher walks through their context and how they taught, why they taught, what they did, what the results were. Is it game over? Is it going to be, you know, replay? That kind of thing. Uh, so if you're interested in finding more out about Fabio's paper, please check the LLP site. The link will be in this, the description. Now... Um, we're going to move on to the final section, which is just general questions. Um, our big boss here has been quiet the whole time. So, Jonathan, um, I'm sure you've got some questions. Would you like to start? Sure. Because... Uh, I, I think it's wonderful that all of the reviewers have talked about Fabio's teaching with his students, right? Like Brandon, Neil, Casey, like you all mentioned how invested Fabio was with his students and also how reactive you were, right? The things that you saw, you, you did something different the next class, right? To try to help your students out. It's just fantastic. Um, it, it just, it's, it's wonderful to, to hear that from reviewers and to see that in a paper in LLP. It's, it's really heartwarming uh, to have this kind of community and, and to have a group of dedicated teachers around. Um, related to that, like my question really is about writing the walkthrough like james said that it's it's supposed to be a detailed description how fabio like how did you balance making all those decisions and reacting to what students did and taking notes and and being a researcher it's 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 really hard for me to imagine how you were able to capture all those details all those anecdotes all those interactions with your students like were you were you writing things down after class like what, what was your research approach or what was your reflective teaching and, and note-taking approach i guess for others to learn from because you did a, a great job right um here's the thing uh while i was when i started this project i was not planning to write a paper about it so i was completely focused on the teaching and how to make it good for the students and uh, all the notes I took was um, also based on my knowledge of the students' skills and attitude. I think I specified that in the paper. So I did not note, uh, wrote, I didn't write down everything that happened. I wrote down what was something significant that happened, considering the students' skill. The skills. Right. For example, a skilled um, a, a student usually uh, like shows a very high level of English compared to his peers. When he said something, maybe I didn't write it down. But when another student, which is usually weak, or actually we talked about using weak, uh, not as proficient uh, as the other, uh, when he said the same thing, then I wrote it down. That's when I wrote yeah. it down. So I wasn't right noting everything. I was writing only what was significant, thanks to my knowledge of the student skills. So that helped me. The not like knowing the students helped me a lot into, you know, deciding what to write, what to note, what was important and was not. That's something that helped you me a write, lot. Yeah. Were you writing things down during class or after class mostly? Uh, sometimes during class. For example, especially actually when I, after the third class, I started writing. I was like, okay, actually, this is something that should be reported. And yeah. when I realized that, I sometimes I was like, since I was participating in the game, because I wasn't like an, yeah. I'm a silent observer, I was actually trying to encourage the guys to play. Come on, guys, do you know the scholar? Ask him. I was like that for all, you know, not for the whole, but often I was like that. 
sometimes I heard something that was worth noting that I'd stop everything and write it down very fast, you know, to go back right. into supporting the students. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. And often after classes, since every single student, after every single class, had to write a reflection sheet about the class, which is completely free. So that also gave me information. And uh, actually, they gave me a lot of notes, too, thanks to this reflection sheet that happened every, after every single class. It's something that the students were used to because they write it not only after the game classes, but they used to write it after every single English class, even if it was not related to the project. So That's student really reflection, student frequent reflection. We're talking about 78 reflection sheet a week. <laughs> so yeah, every two weeks, sorry. So that was a load of information that I could, you know, compare to my feeling with my feelings, with my perception, and turn into the reflection that I actually was able to write into the paper. I also took Beautiful. videos from time to time. That also yeah. helped. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Fabio, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, I think earlier in the podcast, you made a comment about the um, cognitive um, side of playing the game and what you saw in your students. And um, I thought that was really interesting. That, interesting, And I wondered if you could just uh, talk about that a little bit. Of course. So what I mean by uh, cognitive improvements in related to the language is uh, we're thinking about um, the way uh, students were um, thinking in order to participate into the game, even without the production part yet. So, lying, um, you know, uh, bargain, bargaining, all this kind yeah. of skills, bargaining, yes, thanks. All these kind of skills that are necessary to win. Um, some students that have more trouble in production actually made use of those skills, actually improved mm -hmm. in those skills, being able in the end to use them um, with the language. Of course, not in an extremely productive way, but they started bargaining with very simple language. Um, I remember a student with dyslexia managing to bargain like before, for example, the first time, um, you know, you, you shouldn't show your card in this game to, ever, to anybody. But, uh, but every student was doing it because they didn't know how to bargain yet. But slowly, they started to try to lie or deciding to what extent show their card and stuff. And that happened before the actual language production. So they were starting like lying, starting trying to persuade each other with gesture. And then they requested the language in order to show this kind of process, to actually say it and to make it English, basically. So I guess that the will to win, the will to participate or the will to collaborate or the will to have fun is what unleashed this uh, cognitive improvement that eventually ended up being a language improvement. So I, I think I it felt like, go ahead. I was just going to say that it goes to show that even a simple game, people might think you're just having fun, but there's a lot going on just to play a simple game like this. You need to figure out what, how to double cross or what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And that's on top of trying to use a second language. So um, if people think that, you know, playing, playing something like 
like this is a frivolous waste of time. And Fabio is saying that not only language production but also cognitive production can uh, can be gained, right? You know, and to me as a teacher, that's really interesting because as I go through um, curriculums, I see a lot of um, reference to those cognitive skills, cognitive processes, critical thinking, communication, and um, and then a lot of those um, curriculum outcomes or goals that I read are also very um, similar to some of the things you do when you play a game. And you're talking about like, you know, per- persuading and um, forming strategy. And that's something that um, I think really connects to a ton of curriculums, whether it's language arts, social studies, it could be um, business and marketing. What um, There's many different ways to connect um, the gameplay in a game like this and many other games to a, to a whole variety of curriculums. And so that to me is, um, as you described that, Fabio, that's really interesting to me as a teacher who teaches other subject areas. And I think that's something that um, is important to look at when you think about games in the classroom. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, I agree with you because I guess that the, um, the only the main difference when we teach language and teach something else when it comes to game-based teaching is that with languages, you can potentially use any game in the native language, while for other subjects, maybe you have to be a little bit more, a little bit more selective because you have to use the game content to hit the subject. It's not the language anymore. But apart from that, yeah, like when, as, as far as this uh, uh, intrinsic motivation connected to winning the game goes, then yeah, I agree with you. There's so many subjects that can be taught with, um, with games. I hope you found this episode useful. Um, if you are interested in learning more about Fabio's work, please visit the LLP homepage where you can read the paper in its entirety and download related materials for free. If you like this episode, please consider commenting, sharing, subscribing, all that normal stuff. And if you would like to join our community, we have a Discord. The link is in the description. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next podcast.